Welcome back. So I was in the hospital this past week and I was seeing a lot of patients and one of them happened to have a PE, but it really wasn't his biggest issue. It wasn't massive PE and the reason he got the PE was really his other issues like functional decline and his kidneys were starting to fail. An older guy and he was a bit cranky, but nice guy, nice guy. By no means was he mean, he just was a little bit down on life, and it was understandable. But at one point, he mentioned to me something kind of sad, and he said, listen, there's days where if I could just end it, I would take a gun and shoot myself. So, of course, I called his wife, who seemed totally uninterested in everything I had to say about him. You know, I'm telling her, He's got a blood clot, but the bigger issues, he's heading towards dialysis. He's not sure he wants to do dialysis. And then I mentioned that he said if he had a gun, there's days he might shoot himself. And for the first time in the conversations, she speaks up and says, where do I bring it? And some days I don't know whether I should be laughing or crying. But what I do know is this job is always interesting. All right, so in the last lecture, we were talking about pulmonary embolisms, where I mentioned that if you think it's a false positive, like a small PE that's not in the right place of where the patient is having pain, you know, I think I gave the example, they came in with right upper quadrant pain, but the PE's in the left upper chest and it's subsegmental, that you probably have a false positive and you may not want to treat that. But... What happens if you have a subsegmental PE that you think is real? You know, let's say it's really close to where they're having pleuritic chest pain. The question then comes up, do you treat that patient if that's the only finding of venous thromboembolism disease? And it's interesting because the 2016 guideline update for antithrombotic therapy for venous thromboembolic disease and that is published in CHEST. Well, one of the updates this year in 2016 directly addressed that issue. So as of right now, and this is subject to change, what they say in the guidelines is in patients with sub-segmental pulmonary embolism with no involvement of more proximal pulmonary arteries and no proximal DVT in the legs who have a low risk for recurrent venous thromboembolic disease, we suggest clinical surveillance over anticoagulation. So I know it's really hard for doctors not to treat something that is actually there, like a subsegmental PE. But again, that's the guideline saying that. Now, they also say that a high risk for recurrent venous thromboembolic disease, they do suggest anticoagulation over clinical surveillance. Now, you may be wondering, why didn't they address this in previous guidelines? Is it something they just thought of now? And of course, the answer is not that. What happened is, as CT pulmonary angiography got better, we started diagnosing more subsegmental PEs. Meaning, back with old CT angiography technology, a lot of these we would have never picked up on and never treated, but now we see them, so should we treat them? And a lot of that comes down to, do they have further DVT risk or do they have another DVT? Meaning, if you get an ultrasound and they have DVT, of course, in that situation, 
you treat them unless they have a major contraindication to treatment. So nothing's changed in that regard, meaning if you have a deep vein thrombosis, you treat a deep vein thrombosis. Having a subsegmental PE only adds to the reason as to why you would treat that. And therefore, it is strongly recommended that if you have a subsegmental PE and you're thinking about not treating it for some reason, that you go ahead and get a bilateral lower extremity ultrasound because if you have DVT down there, you've got to treat those DVTs. Now, let's say you don't have a DVT in the lower extremities. Well, now you've got to reassess where that PE may have come from. So if there's a central venous catheter or a PICC line in, then you want to get an ultrasound of that upper extremity. And if clot is found there, then now you're obligated to treat the venous thromboembolic disease. Now, again, there's also just going to be times where the risk factors for VTE is so significant that you would want to treat a subsegmental PE, such as right after a lower extremity injury. Let's say your patient broke their ankle and now they're presenting with a subsegmental PE. I think that person's at pretty high risk for further venous thromboembolic disease. Let's say you got a patient with metastatic cancer or just cancer. In that situation, they are at high risk for having further venous thromboembolic disease events. And I think you gotta anticoagulate in that situation. Now, I do want to step back, and the guidelines admit that the evidence supporting the recommendations regarding subsegmental PE is low quality. And the reason it's low quality, they say, is because it's a bit difficult to predict who's going to have further venous thromboembolic disease. So there is a lot of clinical judgment that goes into this. And that's why I think it's such an interesting topic to tackle as a physician, nurse practitioner, or PA, both working in a hospital or in an outpatient setting. Because you can see subsegmental PE if you're an outpatient doc who ordered a CT scan and now you get the results back that it is a subsegmental PE. And it also should be stated that in January of 2016 this year, Cochrane did a review for anticoagulant treatment for subsegmental pulmonary embolism. And they said at the time, as of December 2015, when they were writing this, that there was no randomized control trial evidence one way or the other. So Cochrane said they can't draw any conclusions. Okay, so switching gears a little bit away from subsegmental PEs, I do want to talk a little bit about ventilation perfusion scanning because Sometimes we simply cannot get a CT of the chest with contrast, and the reason for that is usually renal insufficiency, but there can be other reasons why, such as in pregnancy, a lot of the time you do not want to get a CT of the chest with contrast, so in that situation, a ventilation perfusion scan is preferred. If you're lucky enough to get a normal scan, most people say that has excluded pulmonary embolism. If you get a high probability result, most people feel comfortable that a pulmonary embolism is there. And I should mention at the outset, for those wanting more detailed information about ventilation perfusion scanning, 
results and how to interpret them, you should read the prospective investigation of pulmonary embolism diagnosis 2, otherwise known as the PIOPED 2. Now, one of the difficulties with VQ scanning, ventilation perfusion scanning, is that you often don't get a normal result or a high probability result. You can get a report back that says it's indeterminate or low probability, which isn't normal. It just means that in isolation, that test is low probability. And that brings me to the biggest point, which is diagnostic accuracy when you're looking at a ventilation perfusion scan is best when you're using it with clinical probability. And that's where things like the Wells criteria can be very useful to combine with the ventilation perfusion results. Meaning if you have a low probability VQ scan and at the same time the well score is less than two, then there's a less than 4% chance that that patient has a pulmonary embolism. Now, I think if you have anything other than a normal or a high probability VQ scan, it makes complete sense to always get a bilateral lower extremity ultrasound because if you do see a DVT, then again, you gotta treat the DVT and likewise, if you don't see a deep vein thrombosis and you don't think there's any more clots that are going to break off, you feel a little bit more comfortable that you have some time to work with. And it's been found that with intermediate probability VQ scanning, it seems safe to hold off on anticoagulation until you can get a more definitive test. Let's say they have acute renal insufficiency, but you're pretty sure in the next 24 to 72 hours, you're going to be able to take care of that with just IV fluids alone, and that you can move on to now getting a more definitive test, like a contrast pulmonary angiography. So let me try and summarize this a little bit so it makes some sense. If you get a normal VQ scan, really you've excluded pulmonary embolism in almost all circumstances. Of course, there's got to be one in a million exceptions out there, but you really, in general, don't need to treat that patient. Now, let's say you get a low probability ventilation perfusion scan, and you think they have a low clinical probability of pulmonary embolism. Well, you've also excluded pulmonary embolism, and the current algorithms would say no treatment in that situation you get a high probability VQ scan. Basically, pulmonary embolism at that point is confirmed and you treat for pulmonary embolism. Now, again, it's these indeterminate scans that are the problem. That's what makes you sigh and roll your eyes. And at a minimum, you want to get a bilateral lower extremity ultrasound. If there's DVT there, go ahead and treat. If you think you're going to be able to follow the patient up with a CT angiography and their lower extremity ultrasound was negative, you can do that test once it is safe, such as when their kidneys are looking better. If it is an acute renal problem, if they have chronic kidney disease, obviously that's not going to work. Now, it should also be mentioned that in the PIOPED study, so this was in JAMA 1990, if you had an indeterminate ventilation perfusion scan, but the clinical probability of an emboli was high. In that situation, 
66% of patients had the pulmonary embolism. And maybe it's also worth taking a moment to say that CT angiography and ultrasound of the lower extremities and ventilation perfusion scans are not the only thing that we can use as far as imaging for pulmonary embolism. So if you happen to get an echocardiogram and you see right ventricular pressure overload and dysfunction, that certainly would raise your concern about pulmonary embolism. Though I gotta say, in probably most of those cases, they probably had pretty significant clinical symptoms. And then let's say you see a mobile right heart thrombus, either on a transthoracic or transesophageal echocardiogram. Yeah, in that situation, you've pretty much confirmed pulmonary embolism. Now, I myself, I've never actually ordered a magnetic resonance pulmonary angiography, so I don't have any experience with MR, but my understanding is that the motion artifact results in suboptimal resolution. And so, as a result, the sensitivity can be decreased with MR when you're comparing it, obviously, to a better test like a CT angiography. However, when it comes to big emboli, it is pretty sensitive. The problem is when you start getting into smaller pulmonary embolisms, it sounds like with magnetic resonance pulmonary angiography that the sensitivity really drops off. Nevertheless, it sounds like there is a population in which CT angiography and ventilation perfusion scanning either can't be performed or there was some problem with the reading of it. And in that case, there are apparently some patients where magnetic resonance pulmonary angiography should be considered. Again, and I would say that first go with ultrasound of the lower extremities, clinical criteria and symptoms, because at the moment in 2016, the MRA scans often will leave you with an inconclusive result as well. Now clearly, CT angiography, if you can get it, is the best test. With the caveats that I spoke about in the first lecture that there definitely can be false positives. But one of the nice things about CT angiography that you see quite a bit in clinical practice is that even when there is not a pulmonary embolism, you often do detect an alternative diagnosis, meaning you can see everything from the more common issues like a pneumonia to the more really rare catastrophic issues like a diaphragm rupture. I've seen situations where the radiologist picked up on an aortic dissection when the contrast was given for a chest CT done for pulmonary embolism reasons pericardial fusions that make you start thinking about pericarditis. So sometimes we see what we weren't really looking for. All right, so we will leave it there today. Thanks for joining me, and I will catch you on the next round.